How many know James 2.20 says this, faith without works is dead. I want you to just say that with me this morning. Say, faith Faith. without works works. is dead. And so it's important that we put our faith in action. Last week, I preached and I taught on how it's important to put your faith in action. And so I had a fishing pole with me. And uh, how many of you, any, I, I like to go fishing. Anybody like to go fishing in here? And so how many know if I just decided to go fishing and, and I just stood on the bank or I stood on the boat or I stood on the dock and I just had my fishing pole in my hand and I just stood there, how many know a fish isn't going to just jump out of the water? I got to do something. I've got to take my hook that's on my pole. I've got to put some bait on it and then I've got to cast my bait into the ocean or into the lake or the pond or wherever I'm fishing and cast it in order to try to catch something, right? I would love to see a fish jump out of the water deep fried ready for me to eat. But see, you know, many times people come to God and they just stand there with their fishing pole. They don't ever put any bait on it. They don't ever cast their line. They don't ever seek God. And so they stand there and then they wonder, well, why, you know, they, they could say, you know, I could stand there fishing and with my fishing pole and holding it in my hand. And I could say, why don't the fish love me? Don't the fish, what did I do to offend the fish? Don't, don't, the, don't the fish know that, that I'm hungry? Don't they know that I like deep fried fish? You know, why, why don't they do that? And so many people, they can just stand there like that. But see, God says for us to put our faith in action. You've got to then cast and then you know what? Many times when I cast my pole out there, if I don't start getting a bite, how many know I don't just stand there the whole time? It's time if I don't get a bite, you know what? It's time to move down. Let me try over on this side. Let me try to see if I can catch something and get some nibbles on this side. Maybe if I don't find one there, then I go on down. You know, many times prayer is like fishing. And you begin to pray, you may begin to pray in the spirit, and all of a sudden as you're praying, you know what, God might put, your, put it on your heart to pray about something, but then sometimes you may want to pray about something, but it's, it's not really what's on your heart to pray, and God will lead you to guide you to pray something else. Amen. Amen. And, and so, but we need to seek him. In other words, all of a sudden I begin to go to different places, I begin to seek to find where are the fish? Where are the thing? Where is the thing that I'm believing God for? Where is the thing? God, I'm putting my faith in action. I'm putting the bait on the hook and I'm casting my faith out there. I'm casting, I'm believing, I, I'm speaking, I'm confessing. Somebody say amen. And so, because we know Hebrews eleven six says, but without faith, it, it is impossible to please God. Do you know that without faith, it's impossible to please God? How many of you want to please God in this room today? Oh, only three people today. How many of you want to please God in this room today? How many of you want to please God online today? In order to please God, you must believe. It says this, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. You've got to seek him. You've got to seek God. You've got to seek God in his word. You've got to open it up. You know, I could have the Bible. You know, how many have ever been to somebody's house and the Bible just sitting there? You know, it's right there on their coffee table and it's got dust piled all up on it. Come on now. I'm not the only one that's been there. And they'll say, Pastor, I've been, I've been quoting the word. I've been reading the word. And, and their Bible's sitting right there on the coffee table and it's got dust. It, it ain't been open in years. They don't know what's in the word. They aren't seeking God. That you you got to open up the book, and just because I have the book doesn't mean I'm seeking. I've got to actually read. I've got to actually say what the word says. Somebody say amen. amen. 
I want you to hold your Bible up this morning and say, this is my Bible. I'll say it like you mean it. Say, this is my Bible. I can have what it says I can have. I can do what it says I can do. I can be what it says I can be. Amen. And see, you can have and do and be all those things, but you've got to seek him. You've got to seek the word. You've got to seek and know him. And so uh, today, I want to go a little further. Today, I want to, my message today is entitled, According to Your Faith. I want you to point yourself this morning and say, according to my faith. Point to somebody else and point to them and say, according to your faith. See, it's not God's faith, it's your faith. What do you believe? Somebody say, my faith. See, I've noticed many times God, like, God gets blamed for a lot of stuff that he didn't do, or I could say it this way, God gets credit for a lot of things that he had no part of. For example, just recently we had a hurricane that came through not too long ago, a couple weeks ago. How many know God doesn't send hurricanes? God wasn't trying to uh, get people to get closer to God by sending a hurricane. Now, how many know God doesn't send viruses? God doesn't cause people to get sick so that they get closer to him. God doesn't cause somebody to get cancer so that they'll go into the cancer treatment and start preaching to people. How about you just go to the cancer treatment and start preaching to people? Amen. Amen. And so it's important that we know that God, everything good comes from God, but anything bad, anything that comes to kill, steal, and destroy, that comes from Satan. We find that in John 10.10. 10. For the thief, somebody say the thief, comes to kill, steal, and to destroy. And so we know that. We have an understanding, and it's important that we know that. That God is always good. That every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. You know, I ne- when I'm reading the scriptures and I'm reading through the gospel, you know, I've never seen once where Jesus, somebody that was sick, came up to Jesus and Jesus said, well, uh, and he put sickness on anybody. How many, anybody ever read that Jesus put sickness on anybody? Not once. Jesus never. What did he do? Jesus actually says this in 1 John. It says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. That means we can see what did Jesus do on his earthly ministry here on the earth. He went and he healed people. The blind eyes could see. The deaf ears could hear. The lame could walk. Amen. If that's what Jesus was doing, then why would we think that God would cause someone to get sick so they'll get closer to God? No, that's not true. If that's true, then why do you pray God to heal that person? Why would you pray to God to heal you if you got sick and you think, oh, that's, I mean, then you're defying what God's doing in your life. That wouldn't make sense, would it? No, we know that Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy. I want you to just say that with me this morning. Say, Jesus Jesus came came to this earth earth to destroy destroy the works of the enemy. How many know the the enemy has been destroyed? He's been defeated, but it's now our opportunity. Jesus gives us authority. He gives us power and dominion to walk on this earth and with the help of the Holy Spirit to overcome anything that the enemy tries to do in our life. Somebody say amen. I want you to look at this, Matthew 13. Go with me to Matthew chapter 13, and I'm going to start with verse 54. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 54, and I'm going to read it. And it's interesting because one of the questions I want to share with you is, 
Did Jesus heal every time, all the time? And here is an interesting story. When Jesus said in verse, or Jesus comes into his own, his own hometown, and it says in verse 54, and when he was come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue insomuch that they were astonished and said, whence hath this man this wisdom and the, these mighty works? In other words, Jesus came and he preached in his own hometown. He was preaching in his own home church, basically, in the synagogue. And you know what the people said? They said, isn't this, is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren, James and Joseph and, and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not with us? Whence then has this man all these things? And they, uh, they were offended. Somebody say offended offended in him, but Jesus said unto them, a prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own home house. And he did not many mighty works because of their unbelief. It doesn't say that he would not, it says that he could not. He could not because of their unbelief. I want somebody to just shout out, I believe. I believe. Now, I want to go to another story in Matthew chapter 9. Just go back a few pages in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 27. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 27. And I want to show you the importance of understanding how it is that we need to follow through. We can't just stop in believing. We can't just stop in confessing. But we need to get to the place that we begin to receive, that we are receiving. Somebody say receiving. receiving. You know, I love the, the, the idea. We, we were teaching on, on football today, and the kids will see that episode. But you know what? A quarterback has what, he, what we call a receiver. The receiver runs out, and he catches the ball. And he's running, and he tries to run to a certain route. And he catches the ball and tries to run for a touchdown. See, we are... We are like God's receivers, and we're supposed to be out there running. You know, if, if they said down, set, hut, and I just stood there. Imagine, imagine how long I'd be on the football team if I, was, if I was on the Gamecocks or the Clemson or the Georgia Bulldogs, and all of a sudden he says, down, set, hut, hut, and I stand there like this as a receiver. Yeah, I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting on you. No, he has to put action to what he's believing to receive, he's got to start running, and then all of a sudden he starts waving, hey, I'm open, I'm open, and the quarterback throws, and then all of a sudden he jumps up and he catches it, and then he starts running for a touchdown. See, I want us to understand, God has already thrown. Jesus, when he came to this earth, he already provided everything that you'll ever need. And see, Jesus, he has already provided that. When he died on the cross, when he went down to, de- to hell and he stole the keys of death, hell, and the grave, he was resurrected. And then he says, greater work shall you do. See, many of us aren't living up to our potential of what God wants us to live because we don't understand that we're supposed to receive what God has already provided. We're standing, we're standing at the scrimmage line. We're wondering why God isn't moving. We're wondering why anything isn't happening. Because we aren't running and we aren't trying to receive. We've got to put action, somebody say action, to our faith. Amen. That was good. That was by the Holy Ghost. Amen. 
It's not even in my notes, praise God. Matthew chapter nine, starting with verse 27. And when Jesus departed, this is after he raised up a young girl, he departed from there, thence and two blind men followed him crying and saying, thou son of David, have mercy on us. You know, I want to encourage you today. I want you to write this down. Mercy is not, is, is not getting what we do deserve. And grace is getting what we don't deserve. I'm going to say it again. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And grace is getting what we don't deserve. I don't know about you, but I thank God for his mercy and his grace. I want to encourage you, if you didn't get a chance to hear it, go back to last week's message online and listen to my pastor's message, Pastor Steve's message on mercy. What a powerful lesson and, and, and preaching and teaching on the mercy of God. But these men, these two blind men, they said, thou son of David, have mercy on us. And I thank God for a relationship so that I can have the mercy of God. How many know there's things that there's moments and times when I didn't deserve, I, I got, I, and I got blessed even though I didn't deserve it. Even though I knew I shouldn't get it. Even though I knew I shouldn't have been blessed. God's mercy came through and he provided his mercy. And then I'm also thankful for his grace. That even though that, that I received the grace of God, how many know that, that my sins have been washed as white as snow? That I didn't deserve that. And there's nothing that I could do uh, other than confess Jesus as my Lord and, and, and accept him into my heart. And, and, and see, that's, that's the grace of God. The grace of God, the things that we don't deserve. And see, it's interesting. That's what they said. Lord, uh, thou son of David, Jesus, have mercy on us. Just shout that out this morning. Say, Jesus, have mercy on us. See, I truly believe this. We need to be confessing. Jesus, have mercy on us. Have mercy on Georgetown. Have mercy on our nation. Have mercy on South Carolina. God, we're believing for a mighty revival. And God, we thank you, even though we might not deserve it. God, we thank you that you're going to make a way and you're going to rescue America. You're going to rescue Georgetown. You're going to rescue our state. Somebody say amen. amen. And see, when Jesus, in verse 29, and when Jesus was coming to the house, the blind men came to him and said, and Jesus said to them, believe ye that I am able to do this. And they said unto them, yea, Lord. Now I want to go back just a moment Interesting enough, these two blind men, they were crying and they were saying. I don't know if you've ever been there before, but how many have ever maybe been there where you just stayed up all night and you were just crying and you were saying, but it didn't make a difference. Nothing changed. Look at these two men. They were crying and they were saying sometimes, you know what, that's why it's important. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. See, you could cry, you could pray all day long, but until you put your faith in action, 
until you run off that scrimmage line and you begin to try to receive what it is that God has provided for you, it's not going to make a difference. You can cry. You can, you can, you know, I know of a young, of a man that, that shares a story about how he was on his deathbed for 16 months. He could not even, he could not even move. He was paralyzed from the waist down. But yet all of a sudden he began to, he, he had cried all night long. But then finally one day he got the word of God on the inside, Mark 11, 23 and 24, and he decided decided he he rolled his legs off the bed he began he used the bedpost and stood up and he said lord i want to just confess i want to declare with god watching with jesus hearing me with all the angels and even all the demons hear me that i believe i am healed and all of a sudden something began to happen in his body and he could begin to walk he could begin to move somebody say amen And see, it says, and when Jesus had come into the house, they were standing in the presence of Jesus, but they still couldn't see. See, you could be in the presence of God and still not receive. But what did Jesus say? He said, believe ye that I am able to do this. And their confession was, yes, Lord. And then he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, be it done unto you or be it unto you. Somebody say, according to my faith, be it unto me. I'm going to say it again. Verse 29, it says, and he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, be it unto you. See, it wasn't Jesus's faith. It wasn't, Jesus asked them the question. He's asking the same question to us this morning. Do you believe that I, that Jesus is able to do it? You've got to ask yourself, or do you believe that Jesus is able to do what you're asking him to do? And he says, and then, that he said, according to your faith, be it done unto you. And their eyes were open, verse 30, and their eyes were open and Jesus straightly charged them saying, see that no man know it. And so we can see the blind men, they were crying, they were seeking, they were searching. And yet they, were, they got to the place that they got to be in the presence of the Lord. But it wasn't until they believed to receive. They had to believe to receive. See, that's really the, one of the first steps is believe that God or that Jesus is able to do this. That's really where faith begins. You've got to believe that what God said in his word, that he's able to do it and that he's going to do it. And you've got to believe that. If God, if, if you were to believe God, then you believe, you've got to believe God can do anything. You've got to believe God is able. I believe everyone in here believes God is able. How many believe God is able? But you've also got to take the next step. You've got to take the next step. And so, Brother Jermaine, will you follow me on the camera real quick? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to show these steps right here. But I want to talk about, see, there's a couple of steps I have on each side of this platform. And so, you know, if I were to walk down here, you can follow me over this way. You know, just because I'm on on this step, that doesn't mean I'm on the platform. I could go to the second step. I'm still not on the platform. 
I could go to the third step. I'm still not on the, on the podium. I'm still not on the platform. And see, many people, they get to the believing step and they stand right there. They cement their feet right there on the believing step and they don't ever go any higher. They don't ever go any further. They don't ever do anything different. They just stand right there and they say, well, I'm believing God. I know God is able. I've been crying. I know God is able. And they stand right there on step one. And they, and they don't move. But then, the second step is to believe that God is willing. That God is willing to do what he said he was do. See, this right here, this Bible, this, this word, this is God's will. And we know that by Jesus' stripes, we were healed. Jesus is willing to heal you. But you've got to know that he's willing to heal you. See, many people know that he's willing to heal some, but they don't know that he's willing to heal them. You've got to know. And then step three, you've got to believe that you receive. You've got to, I want you to write that down. Believe that I receive. Say it with me. Believe. Somebody just say, I believe that I receive. See, when you truly believe that you receive it, I used this, this story the other day. If, if, if I used little Lexi. If I told Lexi that next Saturday, that, I, that next Saturday she's going to have a new dress, and you know what she'd do? She'd go tell all of her friends at church. She'd tell all her friends at school, hey, you know what? Next Saturday, I'm going to get a nice new dress. I'm going to have a pretty dress. And she would begin to believe that she's going to receive it. And all of a sudden, she would be acting as if she already had the dress because she knows it's on the way. She might not physically can see it yet. She might not can touch it yet. She might not be able to put it on, but she knows that her father told her that next Saturday, she's going to have a dress. And so she begins to walk around and saying, I'm getting, I've got a new dress. I believe that I receive it, even though I haven't seen it, even though she didn't even have to go to the store and purchase it because Jesus has already purchased everything that you will ever need. And so you got to believe, you got to get to the step that not only do you believe that God, that believe that God can and believe that he will, but you got to believe that you receive it. And then is when you act on it. One more story in the Bible. It's interesting. It says this in Matthew chapter nine, just go up a couple of verses. Verse 20, it says, behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood for 12 years. You know, it doesn't matter how long you've been in your situation. It doesn't matter how long you've dealt with that situation. How many know God can turn it around? God can change that thing. God can turn what the enemy meant for bad and turn it around for good. Somebody say amen. All of a sudden, she came behind Jesus and she touched the hem of his garment. See, it's interesting. She didn't just stand there and watch Jesus pass me by. See, she had had the issue of blood for 12 years, and she had to seek. She had to push her way. I imagine her down on the floor, crawling through the feet of the crowd and the people to just touch the hem of his garment. But many people are standing on the first step, and they're watching Jesus pass them on by. They're watching as someone else runs out to receive what Jesus, the quarterback, threw to them. And they watch them score the touchdown and they stand there on step one and they think, why didn't I receive? Why didn't I score the touchdown? Why didn't I receive? See, you've got to believe that you receive. Look at this, verse 21. 
For she said within herself, if I may touch the hem of his garment, I shall. In other words, past tense, circle that word shall. One of the strongest words in the English language, shall, means it shall, it has to be done. It shall be done. It shall. She said, she got it into the past tense. She said, if I may touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. And then Jesus turned about when he saw her and he said, daughter, be of good comfort. Your faith, King James says, thy faith, but let me put it in today's vernacular, your faith. Everybody point to yourself and say, my faith has made me whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. See, she believed that she received. And when she touched the hem of his garment, it made a difference. I want to talk quickly today before we go. I want to talk about the relation between confession to manifestation. See, notice that confession, that, that, that this confession, that all of a sudden that, that, that saying the thing that God says, that it's by faith, it's believing and confessing before experiencing the result. Confession comes first, and then Jesus, our high priest, responds to our confession. How many know, like for example, it's not salvation unto confession, it is confession unto salvation. Confession comes before salvation. See, there is no such thing as salvation without confession. Faith is adding on God's word. It is always putting God to work, fulfilling his promise. Many times when the word confession is used, it's always used in a negative tone, like confessing sin or weakness or, or failure. But this is only the negative side. There's a positive side to confession. And see, you will never rise above your confession. I like to look at it like this, and, and many times I've shared about this just a couple weeks ago. You know, like right now, uh, little Chloe, we have to get a bottle ready if, if I'm going to feed her. And because um, God didn't create men with the ability to feed a baby like a woman. Amen. All right. So you got me. All right. So I've got to prepare the bottle. I've got to prepare the bottle in order to feed Chloe. Well, you know what I have to do? I have to turn the water on. I have to get the water running hot. But you know what I've noticed? If I turn the water on hot, just for a second, and then I turn it back to cold, and then I turn it back to hot, and then I turn it back to cold, and then I turn it back to hot. How many of you know that I'm never going to get the water hot because I keep turning it back to cold? And see, I've seen and I watch, and as a pastor, I, I, I see as people, they'll begin to confess God's word, and they'll say, oh, I believe God can do it. I know God is able. Oh, and they'll begin to shout, and they'll begin to quote scripture, and they'll begin to do all that, and they'll begin to pray and do all those things, but then, you know what they'll say? Well, yeah, but... And then that, that's that but. It's that but that you need to get rid of sometimes. And they'll say, but I just know if I were to do that, it wouldn't work out. I just know I can't. You know what? The moment you said you can't, you won't. And they confess. They turn themselves from the hot water back to the cold water by the confession. You will never rise above your confession. Stop claiming your sickness. Stop holding on to it as if it is your God-given right to have some sickness in your body. Start saying, I believe that Jesus has healed me in Jesus' name. And begin to confess what God's word says on the subject. Somebody say amen. 
See, God has a confession. God has something that he wants to do in your life and in your body. Somebody say amen. amen. Stop holding on to it. You know, I remember as a young child, I used to have asthma, but I don't claim asthma. I don't have asthma anymore. I rebuke that in Jesus' name. I don't, I don't claim that in Jesus' name. Somebody say amen. amen. Jesus has healed me from that. And see, what our confession many times imprisons us if it is negative or it sets us free if it's positive. Example, in your marriage. Oh, well, my wife will never do that. She won't. Instead, you should be saying, I thank you, Lord, I got a wife that's like Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31 wife, I thank you, Lord, that she, she's the best wife. I thank you, Lord, I pray for my wife every day. I thank you, Lord, that, that, that she's the right woman for me. I think, and you can begin to confess. Husband. Man, he don't ever do what I ask him to do. He won't. Every time you keep saying he won't, ain't going to do it, he ain't going to do it. You begin to get in your prayer closet and you get down on your face and say, God, I thank you, Lord, for my husband. I thank you, Lord, that you sent him to me. I thank you, Lord. Maybe, maybe, I, maybe I overrode my spirit. Maybe I shouldn't have married him. I know, God, you told me not to marry him, but now I'm, I'm stuck with him. So, Lord, I'm asking you, I need your help, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that he's going to do He's going to take out the trash when I ask him to take out the trash. He's going to get up and stop watching TV all the time, and he's going to get up and he's going to do something. He's going, he's going to finally paint that room. My wife had to get on to me for about two or three years to paint a room, but I did it. See, you'll never rise above your confession. Many people are always telling their failings and their lack of faith. Invariably, they will go to the level of, your, of their confession. Confessing lack of, of faith increases doubt. Every time you confess doubts and fears, you confess unbelief and deny the ability and the grace of God to work in your life. When you confess doubt, you are imprisoning yourself to your own words. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 2 says, Thou art snared by the words of my mouth, and thou art taken captive with the words of thy mouth. Man, what a powerful scripture right there. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be taken captive and I don't want to be snared. Amen. See, that's why I thank God for the mercy and grace of God, because there are times and there are things that maybe out of my head, maybe things that I shouldn't have said. And I just say, God, forgive me for saying those things. God, I ask you to cleanse me. And, and I'm sorry that I said those things. And I, and I, I just ask that, that that seed that I planted, that word that I said, that it doesn't come through fruition because I know I shouldn't have said that. And I ask you to forgive me, Lord. I need your mercy. I need your grace. And you go back to God and you say, God, I thank you, Lord. Father, I have what you said I could have. I can do what you said I can do. God, I thank you. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I thank you, Lord, that there are greater things that I'm doing in my life because of who Jesus is, who lives on the inside of me. Come on, somebody say amen. See, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 2. Thou art snared with the words of thy mouth, and thou art taken captive with the words of thy mouth. When we doubt God's word, it is because we believe something else contrary to the word. When you doubt this, it's because you believe something else is greater than this. See, a lot of times we don't see it that way. But see, if this is what God's word said, if this is God's will, when we doubt what God said, then that means that we are saying that something is greater than this. How many know there's nothing greater than God's word? See, wrong confession shuts the Father and, G and, and the Holy Spirit from being able to do what He wants to do. 
See, we, are refused to ha- we should refuse to have anything to do with wrong confession. When we realize that we will never rise above our confession, we are getting to the place where God can use us. Spoken words program your heart and your spirit either to success or defeat. How many have ever been there before? Maybe you had to encourage one of your children before, but maybe, you know, maybe I remember when I was growing up, I I had to learn how to play basketball. And there were times that my mom and my dad would have to come to me and, you know, maybe I missed the shot. Maybe I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't score the three pointer because I was kind of short. I was kind of small for my age and, and I couldn't quite throw the ball long enough. And you know what? My parents would have to come along and they could, they would have to encourage me that I could do it, that I could, that I could make it, that I could make the shot. And you know what? I'd keep practicing. I'd keep trying. But see, if I were just to go on and just keep saying, I can't do it. I can't do it. I won't be able to do it. You know what? I would have never been able to throw, shoot the three for the, the, the three pointer shot. But because I began to believe in myself, I began to say, yeah, if they believe in me, then I know that I can do it. See, if God can believe in you, how many know that you can believe in you? See, words, words are like containers. And they carry faith or fear. And they produce after their kind. You know, I meant to bring a seed, but you know, if I had a seed here, if I had an apple seed, how many know that apple seed is a container and it contains apples in the seed? If I had a tomato seed and I held it up, you know what? That, that, that seed is a container and it contains tomatoes. Not a tomato, tomatoes in that little seed. And see, the thing that you say is a seed. And the thing that you say, it talks and it's a container. And it'll produce after its own kind. See, God's word, we read, Surely he hath, past tense, borne our sicknesses and carried our pain. Himself took, past tense, our infirmities and bore, past tense, our sicknesses. By whose stripes ye were Past tense, healed. God wants us to all appropriate the past tense of his word regarding his redemption for our lives against sickness and disease. He wants us to go forth in obedience, acting as if we believed him. When God puts a promise in the past tense, he thus authorizes and expects us to do the same thing. See, that's appropriating our faith. Mark eleven twenty four. we shared about it last week. Jesus authorizes and commands us to put the reception of the blessing we pray for in the past tense. Whatsoever things you believe when you pray, when you pray, believe that you have received them and you shall have them. Amen. He says, in other words, that you receive them in the past tense. We are to continue to believe that God gave us what we asked for the moment that we pray. We are to continue to praise and thank God for what he has given to us. It is after we believe that we receive what we ask for. After we believe he has heard our prayer, then the answer manifests. The reason many are not getting what we pray for is that they are keeping their blessing in the future tense. The reason many people are not getting what they pray for is that they are keeping their blessing in the future and not getting it in the past tense. Future is hope. It's not faith. Faith takes and receives 
the blessing now. It receives the blessing, the thing that the quarterback, that Jesus has thrown to us. See, many, some will say this. They'll say it this way. God will heal me in his own good time. This is only hope. It's not faith. See, you could say it this way. I am healed by Jesus stripes. That's saying that I am healed. That, that's confessing it as in the past tense, that I am already, even though I might not see it, even though I might not feel it, even though I might not know it. I share that story. I'll share it again. A young man, been on the deathbed for 16 months. He couldn't move. And finally, he got that scripture down in his heart. And you know what he did? He rolled his legs that he couldn't move off the bed. And he began, he pulled himself up. He still didn't feel healed. He still didn't look healed. And he pulled himself up by the bedpost. And then he said, I declare that God's word says that I am healed. And all of a sudden, something began to happen in his body. And all of a sudden, he could begin to walk. And he could begin to move. He got it into the past tense. See, if the gifts of God for the soul and the body were just promised gifts, we would have to wait on the promiser to fulfill his promises. And the responsibility would be on the promiser. How many know God's blessings, all, somebody say all, all. of God's blessings are offered gifts. In other words, it's almost as if the quarterback, God, Jesus has already thrown the passes and they're just hanging in the air and they're waiting for someone to come up and catch it for the touchdown, for the believing, for the receiving. They are offered. They're already offered. When the quarterback throws the football, he's offering the ball to the receiver. And not, not only are they offered gifts, but they're also promised. And therefore, they need to be accepted. They have to be received. They have to be accepted. The responsibility for the transfer is ours. It's not God's. This clears God of all responsibility for any failures. Like I said, God cannot fail. God's word cannot return void. God is, it says this, God is watching over his word to perform it. In other words, he's watching over your life until you would speak his word and then you receive what it is that he has thrown to you. The only reason that you weren't saved a year earlier than you were is because you did not take what God had provided, which was offered to you. In other words, the reason, think about whenever you got saved. The reason you weren't saved a year earlier is because you never took the time to confess Jesus as the Lord of your life and believe him in your heart. It was already offered. Healing is already offered. Prosperity is already offered. He's waiting on you to receive what is already offered. God is not making you wait. We were making him wait. Reach out today and receive your blessing by faith. Don't stop at prayer and at belief. Don't just stop on step one. Don't stop on step two. Keep going until you receive and keep thanking God for the answer until you receive your answer. Don't get back on the negative confession. 
Keep thanking God. I thank you, Lord, that my body's healed. Oh, it don't look healed. I thank you, Lord, my body's healed. Uh, still don't look healed. Thank you, Lord, you're healing my body today. Thank you, Lord, I receive it now. Still, still don't look. Thank you, Lord. All of a sudden, the checkbook, pull the checkbook out. Thank you, Lord, you're going to supply my needs. It's like opening the refrigerator. Just look at it again. Still, thank you, Lord, you're going to supply my needs. Close it up. Thank you, Lord, you're going to supply my needs. And do what God's word says. Keep thanking God for the answer until you receive the answer. How many receive that today? Amen. 